our world is in trouble. Society is full of noise, darkness, and distraction. Where do you go to find the hope and the strength to cope with such a mess? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. An African proverb says, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map of everything we cover. That's on our website and in our weekly newsletter. Plus, check out our YouTube channel. We're putting out cool content for all age groups with new videos every week. So, Jonathan, how are you today? What's up? What's happening? And most importantly, what are we talking about? Doing well, brother. Our question is, we are Christians, but are we unified? And our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We are Christians, but are we unified? Christian unity, it has such a reassuring sound to it. To be unified in Christ is to be in a position of not mere mutual acceptance, but in a position of locking arms and co-laboring for the accomplishment of something far bigger than any one of us. The problem is the reality in which we live. There are so many approaches and opinions on what Christianity is and even stands for. The idea of unity gets lost in the confusion of doctrines and denominations. Is the state of Christianity supposed to be like this? Well, coming up in today's podcast, look, let's, let's just face it. The possibility of all Christians being completely unified is minuscule, if not non-existent. There are just too many interpretations and variations. So what is Christian unity supposed to look like? In segment one, we're going to lay that foundation. Now, if there's going to be trouble with Christianity, you'd want to know about it, right? Well, segment two focuses on the many warnings and troubles that Jesus and the apostles alerted us to. One of the most inspiring things in life is to be able to stare down the trouble that surrounds you and to thrive. Christian unity works exactly like this, and actually segment three is going to show us how it does that. And then finally, the Bible also tells us that Christian unity will be under fire in the end times. Seeing that we are in those end times, what do we need to look out for and do? Find out in segments four and five. Rick, what do the scriptures say Christian unity really is and what we should be doing to accomplish it? What do doctrine, character, and tradition belong together, and when are there legitimate reasons for such things to divide? Okay, a lot of questions here, a lot of questions uh, before we get started. And Rick, uh, the subject, unification. I pictured the geese flying in formation, and uh, the geese in the back are honking to support and encourage the one in the front to keep going, to keep 
keep the line straight, to, to work together. And, and that, that's how I see unity should work. Okay, so you got that V-shaped uh, flock of geese flying overhead, honking away, and cutting through the wind because they are aer- aerodynamically sound as they're in yes. flying in formation. So that's Jonathan's sense of what Christian unity looks like. We're a bunch of birds, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a really good picture because there's such a cooperative effort there. Well, let, let's begin by laying some groundwork, Jonathan. We're going to go to a soundbite from What's the Difference Between Christian Denominations? This is from Southern Seminary. And they're going to, we're going to go back to these guys throughout the podcast because they're going to lay out very specific differences. And they're going to be talking about differences within uh, Protestantism. It's not talking about Catholicism. We'll, we'll, we'll sprinkle some thoughts in on that as we go. But these are interesting because if you're saying, well, all Christians should be unified, why aren't they? These are some of the many reasons that we have challenges. Let's listen. One, one of the fundamental sources of those denominational differences is the form of church government. Now, church government really is about who has responsibility under God to determine what is the shape of the Word of God. That is, what does the Word of God actually teach? What, what is theology, true theology? And so these areas, theology, biblical interpretation, worship, ordinances, fellowship, and governance are the areas that someone has to take authority for, and the different different Protestants have had three different answers for that. Okay, so he's saying, you know, there's, there's a lot of differences in terms of trying to figure out you know, how church governance should work. And Rick, uh, have Christian seminaries taken on that role of the authority? Are, are we supposed to go there for unity for the truth. See, now, in many cases, there, there are many, many, many who would argue, yeah, well, absolutely. The question you have to ask yourself, and we're going to ask a lot of questions that we're just not going to put answers to right away here. The question you have to ask yourself is, well, how do they do it back in the New Testament? I don't remember any seminaries. You know, it was, it was actually being called to become in, into the school of Christ. So what does that mean? And isn't everybody in the school of Christ? Those are the questions. Those are some of the things you got to look at and say, okay, Already, we haven't even started, and you can see that, yeah, there's issues. There's major issues with Christian unity. So let's look at a scriptural foundation for what Christian unity is actually supposed to look like. So to get started with that, you have to start with Jesus. There is no doubt that we're called to a unified fellowship under Christ. Jesus, on his last night of his earthly experience, taught us repeatedly to be unified and to serve one another. We drop in on John chapter 13, verses 12 to 17. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So Jesus is speaking to his followers about service, humble service. He's telling them, if you're going to be joined with one another, it has to be through humble service. And Jonathan, that is an incredibly powerful, simple example for us. It is. And here's our Lord and Savior 
doing such a, a mundane task for his apostles to say, this is what it's about. Yeah, yeah. So he, he literally stooped down low, literally, to show us how we should be acting one to another. Throughout our, our discussion tonight, we're going to have several, several unity principles come up. This is the first one. What is it? Look upon one another from the perspective of serving and then humbly serve. Okay, two parts to that. Look at each other through the eyes of service. And then here's a really novel idea. Go do what you see should be done. That's right. Yeah, and, and that's the hard part. It's great to say to look upon others and feel humble, but it's a different story to look upon others and to be humble in their presence and serve them in the way Jesus showed us there. So humble service is the, one of the foundational principles of what true Christian unity is supposed to look like. Well, Jesus, on this night before he died, did not stop there. Matter of fact, all of the principles we're going to take as foundational are coming from that last night. We're going to jump down to John chapter 15 now, because service was only one part. We also need to have a significant reason to serve one another. So John 15, we're going to just take verses 12 to 15. This is my command, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father have I made known to you. So Jesus here is giving us a sense of, okay, it's important to serve, but there has to be more than just service. And he's saying, here's how you define yourselves. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Which, incidentally, Jesus is saying, I'm about to do. Exactly. So you are my friends, and I want you to, to treat each other the same way that I am treating you. So it's not just through humility and service. It's through the action of self-sacrifice and love. And so that's another big, huge foundation for Christian unity to work. And, and think about this, Jonathan. Even if you have issues with somebody— if you approach them through the eyes of service and the actions of service and the eyes of love, aren't we already sort of melting down some of the issues? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Jesus doesn't stop there because there's another – and there's several other points. We're only taking three at this uh, for, for the purposes of our discussion tonight. There's another point that builds on top of these. Service and love lead to standing apart from the world. Jesus prayed for all of his followers. Good. And Rick, the unity principle on John fifteen twelve to 15 is selfless love is the standard that elevates our lives from service to sonship. Okay. That is a great rise. Selfless love brings us from service to sonship. Service is important. Oh, yes. But we have to go further than that. These are the bases of Christian unity. So now, thank you for bringing that unity principle in that I just happened to skip. Uh, that's what unity is all about. That's right, brother. Covering for each other. That's a good thing. Okay, so now we go to John 17 and build upon this sonship principle that's based on love. John seventeen fourteen through 21. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So go ahead, Jonathan. And Rick, that word sanctify, I love that word uh, for the followers of Jesus. It's telling us, be set apart from worldly thinking. Put on Christ. Put on holy service like he would. Um, And this is just not talking about Christian leaders, is it? No, no. This is everybody. Everybody should be set apart for uh, in in truth. Everybody, not just you're right, not just those people who who are the ones doing the teaching, but the ones who are doing the learning as well. Let's continue with verses 18 through 21 of John chapter 17. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So this all started with humble service, thinking it and acting on it. It's, and then it went to love. And then it went to sanctification, being set apart for a holy purpose. And then it went to living all of these things. When you put all of these little steps together, that's the foundation for scriptural Christian unity. So what, what's our final unity principle for this segment? Well, Rick, to successfully stand apart from the world, we must necessarily stand together. You can't succeed as a Christian without standing alongside of others. This is not an individual activity. It is a team effort through and through. It's really simple to see it that way. Jesus' example of and commands for unity among his followers are all exactly what we as Christians want. The unity Jesus describes is deep and profound. With such strong direction... Why are we so confused? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. Jesus' words to us truly are the foundation for the unity of all his disciples throughout all of the 2,000 years of the present age of the gospel. It's critical for us to remember that his words are only the beginning. The writings of the apostles clearly explain the challenges and the pitfalls of unity. So, you know, it's one thing to say, yes, all Christians should be unified. But as we go further with this conversation, what we're going to find out is that is not so easy. And the Bible told us that right from the start. So, Jonathan, it's great to have a good foundation. It is. You want to know it. You want to rehearse it. You want to live it. But now let's get to the practicality of it all. Let's go back to what's the difference between Christian denominations from Southern Seminary. And they're going to be talking about a very specific issue that a lot of Christian denominations differ on. And that's the issue of baptism. Another fundamental source of difference between Protestant denominations has to do with who are the proper subjects of baptism. And most of the early Protestants believed, as the Roman Catholic Church believes that infants should be baptized. That is part of God's command, that Christian parents 
should have their children baptized in the church and therefore that they should become church members through baptism. But even from the earliest days of Protestantism, there were some who disagreed with that, who, who held that the scriptures do not teach the baptism of infants, but rather teach that baptism is for those who profess their faith. So believer's baptism is what that's traditionally called. So there are two very fundamentally different approaches to baptism. Yeah, there are a lot of differences in different groups, Rick. And and when you look at baptism, now we've done full podcasts on the subject, but we'll just we'll just mention that we are of the belief that the scriptures are emphatic about baptism being a believer's representation of their their dedication as a life of sacrifice. And that's coming from our non-denominational um, viewpoint. Right. But and but the point is, okay, so if you've got those who believe that babies should be baptized and those who believe that it's a believer's decision, and then there's some in the middle that say, well, you know, you baptize the kids when they sort of come of age, you know, what do you do in terms of unity? See, that's these are some of the practical issues you have to look at and say, what am I supposed to do with that? Because you've got a fundamental difference on something that's very fundamental in relation to Christianity. So that creates a lot of questions. Let's go, uh, Ravi, Ravi Zacharias, good quote here uh, as we move forward with some differences and challenges. Where destruction is the motive, unity is dangerous. Now, we're not saying that all divisions are destructive, but this is a good quote, especially as we move forward. We talked last segment about the foundation for Christian unity. This segment, we're going to be looking at the protection of Christian unity. Now, Interestingly, Jesus, before Christianity really officially started, because Christianity starts, Jonathan, after he is crucified and raised and Pentecost comes. That's right, That's, and the Holy Spirit is given to right. the apostles. Yep. Long before all of that, Jesus gave us an earful as to what to expect. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and then verses 15 and 16. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Beware of the false prophets who come in to you as sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So Jesus himself says that there will be false prophets who will come among you and they'll be wearing sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're out to get you. And that's where that quote from Rabbi Zacharias comes in, where destruction is the motive, unity is dangerous. You don't want to be unified with those that are set out for the destruction of Christianity. Not a good idea. Not no. a sound fundamental truth to be following. So... um now, see, to some, it's not going to make a difference because if they're hearing something and it feels good, they're just going to follow it. But if you're a true follower of Christ, you've got to take Jesus' word seriously and say, okay, do I have to look out for this? And the answer is, yes, you do. There's a hint in that scripture. It says you will know them by their fruits. What fruits? We have to look at what are fruits of spirituality and what are fruits of humanness. And do we confuse the two? And I think, Jonathan, in a lot of places, we end up confusing the two, unfortunately. So, so let, let's just let's put the principle in place as we develop this idea of those coming in and creating havoc. What's our next unity principle? 
Beware of those who would come among us to feed upon us to our destruction. So if someone's coming in and they're looking to feed upon you, it's just not generally a good thing to follow, okay? No. And, and, you know, we've seen people be taken by these kinds of things and have their money taken from them and having their hope taken from them. And then, Jonathan, unfortunately, many of these folks end up having their, their faith taken from them because they're so shattered by being so mistreated in the name of Christ. So there are those who come in to take. That's their objective. But not all danger to the unity of true Christianity comes from those who seek to destroy. There's other levels that we have to watch out for. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teachings which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So here you have people not coming in to destroy, but instead coming in to take advantage. They're selfish. They're saying, hey, look at this. I can use this Christian thing, and I can get a free ride if I play my cards right. I think I'll do that. And they come in, and uh, you know their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive innocent hearts. So just because somebody comes in and is not out to destroy doesn't mean you, don't, you shouldn't be watching. Okay, Selfishness can come into play and wreak havoc with Christian principles. And, and here's, you know, it's interesting, Jonathan, we're talking about Christian unity, and mm -hmm. right now we're, we're not, <laughs> okay? <laughs> right now we're looking at all of the kinds of things that we have to be aware of and all of the reasons why unity amongst Christianity as one big, huge label. There are like, I don't know, 33,000 denominations of Christianity in the world. Wow. Okay, I mean, it's, it's an incredible number, huge number, 3,000 or 3, I don't know, just a lot, okay? There's just tons and tons of them, and it just doesn't make sense. Selfishness is one of the reasons we have to be careful of. Smooth and flattering speech implies telling followers what their fleshly minds want to hear and making it sound like something that's godly, like, ooh. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it sounds good because it's convenient and it's comfortable. So, so these folks want to milk Jesus' followers. They don't want to destroy them. They want to milk them for all they're worth. Now, selfishness is not the only thing we need to be aware of. Along these same lines, we also have the challenge of those who deceive through profound words and reasoning. Colossians chapter 2 Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So in this Colossians verse, the challenge is not necessarily selfishness, so that's probably part of it, but it's somebody who's really smart. And, and Rick, one of the common things that I've heard from several is, um, well, that's not for you to understand. It's a mystery because I understand it. And it's because I'm, I have this special uh, epiphany. Well, yeah. And, you know, and cult leaders actually use that kind of reasoning all the time. You know, you're a follower. I'm a leader. You listen to what I say. And, you know, look, look, the, the point is that anyone in Christian leadership should have internally the humility to be able to be corrected, to be able to freely admit they don't know everything. Look, we don't. 
You know, sure. I've been studying the Bible for my entire life practically. Okay. And man, every time I study, you know what I realize? What? How ignorant I am. <laughs> really? It's so enormous. It's so big. So we have to watch out for those people who are really smart and know how to use words, uh, philosophy, and deception to misguide us. So not only are there those wolves in sheep's clothing, and not only are there those individuals that are selfish, but those people that are really smart that can sometimes overwhelm us. So what's our unity principle here that we need to be focused on? Well, beware of those who use Christianity as a cover for their own ego and gain. A cover for ego and gain. You know, I mean, when you're smart, you can do that. And most of us look at that and we, and we don't have the eloquence to be able to combat it. We may not have the scriptural knowledge. doesn't mean that they're right. That's why you have to look at the fruits, the overall big picture here in terms of what true Christianity and its foundation in our previous segment was. Okay, so we've got the wolves in sheep's clothing. We've got the selfish. We've got the smart. Now there are those who will and have undermined the very fabric of genuine Christianity. And we're going to tell you right now, this, these are those who are really arrogant. Second Peter, uh, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly induce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. So now you've got those in their arrogance that bring in these destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And Jonathan, when we look at Christian history, what we see are many doctrines brought into play straight from paganism to draw people in, and doctrines put in place so the masses could be manipulated. That's not what Christianity ever was for. You're right, Rick. And um, even dark age uh, philosophies have have been brought all the way here. Like, do you remember indulgences? Yeah, uh, yeah. Was you know you were able to pay in advance to go ahead and sin? Yeah. And, oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. You you go you go to confess, and it's going to cost you X number of dollars, and you know you put that into the church coffers, and you're fine. Now, look, for, for the most part, that that piece is gone. But you know, the, the the thought, the concept of eternal torment has been brought forward. That was a manipulation piece. Again, we've done several podcasts on this. Don't want to get into the doctrine now, but we want to be aware of those who bring in destructive heresies that totally contradict the fabric of Christianity. Now, finally, after dealing with the wolves in sheep's clothing and the selfish and the smart and the arrogant, we need to really focus on being Christ-like. Philippians, oh, what's that? Go ahead. But the unity principle... Yeah, see, now, I don't know why I keep forgetting these things, Jonathan, but... And that's okay, (laughs) brother. And, And this is important. Beware of and stay away from pagan doctrines that have crept into the faith. So when you think Christian unity, don't think bringing the baggage of paganism. The two don't belong together. So this is kind of taking a hard stand now on Christian unity. This is not a kumbaya session where we're all saying, hey, everything's wonderful and beautiful. (laughs) It's not, because the scriptures tell us it can't be. And we're obligated to follow the strength of the scriptures and find our unity in the strength of what the scriptures teach, nothing else. So now, finally, we really need to focus on being Christ-like. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, and then verses 6 to 8. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you 
as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know, I like the way it says it right there. You were formerly darkness. It's not. It didn't say you were in darkness. It says you were darkness, but you now were. <laughs> we were. <laughs> yeah, but now you are light. And so, you know, at the beginning of these verses, immorality, immorality, immorality impurity, greed, they should not even come up in people's conversations about you. So, folks, look in the mirror. Do we, in anything, have these things come up in conversations about us? Why would that happen? Because the Scripture is saying that it's not proper among saints. And look, every single person who is a true Christian is a saint. Make no, make no mistake about it. Okay, That's what the true followers of Christ are called all through the New Testament. And then it says, interesting, verse 4, there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. Now, Jonathan, I'm going to do a little interpreting here. So this is a Rick opinion. Okay. Okay, but when it says coarse jesting, I think, okay, you know what? It's okay to have fun and and tell a joke here or there, but nothing should ever, ever, ever be off color, ever. Not amongst Christians, okay? Because off color is degrading to somebody somewhere, somehow. And that's not the name of Christ, it's okay to be happy and, and, and you know, you know, do you hear about the, the, the horse that fell in the mud or, you know, so, okay, that's as off color as you get. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, when you were a little kid, remember, do you remember that joke? You no, say, I don't. oh, you want to hear a dirty joke? A horse fell in the mud. Uh, and geez. then you say, you want to hear a clean joke? <laughs> Took a shower. That's it. Okay. That's as dirty as our jokes should get, period. And folks, I'm serious about this. I am deadly serious about this because we have taken humanity and we have degraded it so much that to insult others is just too easy, and that should not be named amongst Christians. You are to walk as children of light. Don't let these things even be noticed amongst you. This is how we create Christian unity. So what's our unity principle here? Beware of the simple temptation of low standards. This is just as insidious as following a false teacher. See, we can say our standards are good because they're higher, but a low standard is still a low standard. You're right. Don't confuse standards of today when you're looking around and saying, well, that's higher than everybody else. So what? Honestly and truly. Go back to Christian standard and say, if I want to be a unifying Christian, where are the standards that I'm setting for that unification between us? That's the important thing. So Christian unity is not a storybook and they lived happily ever after process. It takes diligence and work. In the face of all these traps, we need to watch out for what are the things we can do to build unity. We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. 
we are fortunate that the scriptures give us long lists of practices and principles to apply to the development of pure and lasting Christian unity. With the foundation that Jesus gave us and the applying of the knowledge of surrounding pitfalls that we talked about in the first two segments, we can now earnestly go to the work of being unified. So, so Jonathan, I think the, the, first, the first sort of pause and consider here is that Christian unity is not necessarily people unity. It's unity based on a much higher standard. It's not finding the lowest common denominator so we can all agree. It's finding the highest common denominator that we're all supposed to follow. And that, obviously, is Jesus and his perfect example. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Now, none of us can do that. Because we're imperfect. Yeah, I get it. So what do you do? If you can't do that, we have to rise up as best as we are able to the highest level that we can and realize that forgiveness is there for that very purpose, that God's grace is there for that very purpose to make up the difference. But that's what unity has to be, based on something higher, not lower. Let's go back to uh, what's the difference between Christian denominations from Southern Seminary. And again, and you can tell that you know, the, the gentleman speaking is being doing, I think, a really good job of explaining differences. And you can tell that he's got a sort of a sense of his, his, his beliefs, and you know, God bless him for that. You know? But in, in this next section, he's going to be talking about something that really is very controversial these days, and that is signs and gifts. Another important source of difference among Protestants over the last hundred years has to do with the nature of the supernatural gifts, the extraordinary gifts, or, or the sign gifts, speaking in tongues, or working of miracles, and the like. Protestants traditionally, with Catholics, have held that these were gifts given by Christ to the apostles generally in the apostolic age in order for the establishment of the scriptures and of the church of Jesus Christ but which he then no longer bestowed because the church and the word of God were established. In the early 20th century, a number of Protestants began to look for a renewal of these extraordinary gifts in the church. And as several, several different episodes occurred in the first 10 years of the 20th century in America in which people uh, experienced what they believed was speaking in tongues of one sort or another, they believed were gifts of healing and gifts of working miracles. And this began what we now call the Pentecostal movement. So it's interesting, Jonathan, that, that on this point, we're in agreement. We are. Yeah, on the last point, not so much. <laughs> not at all, but, you know, on this point, we're in agreement. You know, the idea of, of signs and gifts was a, a, a very, very uh, timely thing that happened for a period of time to jumpstart, to put Christianity right in place. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, if somebody believes that they're speaking in tongues and they're speaking a, a godly language to God and praising God, and you don't believe that they are, what are you supposed to do with that? That's a good question. You know, how, and honestly, folks, you know, we're asking the hard practical questions. How do you be unified when you are thinking, look, and, and I've heard the, the, this kind of speech, I, you know, I've, I've watched videos and, and I've heard it, and it's it, because I believe it is not a spiritual gift, unequivocally according to Scripture, according to Scripture, I believe it's, it's gibberish. Okay, so 
you know, you've got a fundamental difference. And now that individual firmly believes there's they're speaking a spiritual language. There's a hard that's a hard bridge to 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 build between the two because it's fundamentally opposite. So what are you supposed to do with that? And again, we're throwing those questions out and showing, putting on the table that there are lots of reasons why there are so many different denominations and there are so many differences and why some don't just all flock together because it just doesn't all fit sometimes. An unknown quote from an unknown source. A family doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be unified. Okay. Oh, united, I'm sorry, united. Okay, so, and so in this segment now, we're going to be looking at the true Christian unity. Last segment, we looked at all the problems with those that come in to distort Christian unity, and now in this segment, we're completely changing gears. We're going to be going through the building of Christian unity. Here we have to realize, great example, although the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul did not work together side by side, they did clearly work for the same cause. There are several commentators that talk about the gospel, and they talk about Peter's gospel and Paul's gospel. And you're thinking, what do you mean? And they're, and they're saying, well, the Pauline gospel says such and such, and the, Peter, and the apostle Peter's gospel says this. And they're, and they're implying that there's a difference in the gospel. I just don't believe it. Just don't believe it. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, help us to understand, I think, how the two are together. And the regard, the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Okay, so Jonathan, in, in, in this verse, what's Peter saying about Paul? Well, he's basically saying, there's, Paul is speaking with a lot of wisdom, and what, he's, what he wrote is scripture. Right, so he's saying the wisdom was not his, the wisdom was given to him. That's right, from God. So he's very clearly stating that the Apostle Paul's words and teachings were from God, not his own. Okay? That's right. Now let's go through verses 16 and 17. As also in all his letters, speaking in them, these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scripture to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. So when we look at those verses, Jonathan, that really kind of brings out the thought that you started with before. Yes, uh, Paul's writings are scripture. And, and what Peter is saying is, hey, learn from Paul. Yeah. Don't discard his words because there's value there. Yeah, and, and he's saying, you know, he's saying that the untaught and unable, unstable distort scripture they distort the words of paul as they do the rest of scripture so he's lumping the words of paul in with the rest of scripture that's really important and so he's saying it's gospel truth take it and like you said learn from it so just because they serve two different parts of christianity doesn't mean they were not together correct their work was different toward the same ultimate goal what's our unity principle here Rejoice in the fact that Jesus' apostles and the leaders of the early church faced the same kind of challenges and issues and stood together for the cause of Christ. They did stand together in locations that were far apart, but they stood together on the common ground of the gospel. 
Let's go to the context of our theme scripture that you read at the very beginning, which was Ephesians 4.13. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, because this kind of gives us instruction on actually how to be unified. So this is taking the principles that we talked about in the very first segment, looking at the problems we talked about in the second segment, and saying, okay, now let's build true Christian unity. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Okay, so I'm telling you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And that brings us to this, back to the scripture we talked about last segment. It says, you know, no, no coarse jesting and all those kinds of things. Go ahead. And it means that high standard exactly. that you mentioned before. Right. Not the low standard. Right. Which we just get by with. Right. Not the invite everybody in so they can all feel special standard, but the higher standard that says, oh, I've got to do a lot of changing to achieve it standard. Because I know I've got a lot to do a lot to achieve it, and I know that you know you have to do a lot to achieve it. Absolutely. So let's work on it together. So walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Uh, Verses, uh, let's, uh, let's read verse two. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So here's how you walk in a manner worthy, with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. Doesn't mean that you just fall over with everything, but you are clearly focused on wanting others to be a part of things. Verse 3. Being diligent to persevere. Preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, why? It's not the unity of you and me. See, this is the interesting thing, Jonathan. It's the unity of the Spirit. That's where God's Spirit dwells in the higher standard. It doesn't dwell in the dirt. It's in the higher standard. We have to rise up to it through the indwelling of God's Spirit to be able to have that fellowship, preserving that unity. That's the only unity that matters. Verses 4 and 5. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So as we go through denominations and all the issues, you know, this is saying all of that, all of that is not, is not what true Christianity is. These are hard things to absorb. But that's what this is saying. See, not the unity of all thought, not the unity of everyone's opinion that we can sort of work together on. That um, So even though we might label it a Christian thought, if it's not a scriptural thought, it may not, in fact, be a Christian thought. We just got to watch out for those things. What's our unity principle here? Be the example you want to follow. You walk the walk, you display humility, you preserve the unity of the Spirit. Why? Because there is only one true calling to Christ. You be the one to live the standard. And, you know, if you, if, if, if you go and, 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 and those that you meet with, you're saying, well, you know, there's not a lot of true, strong Christianity here. Do you go there and sulk about it? Maybe you should go there and be the, be the Christian. Maybe you should, should set the high standard with enthusiasm and with an invitation and see what happens. Bring others up with you. That's the thing. The principle is you be the example because there's only one true calling. Don't kid yourself. There's only one. Now, let's jump down a few verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. 
And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So this is determining, this is telling us what was given to us to build Christian unity in the spirit. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Okay, there is organization, but it's very specific in accordance with Scripture. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And here's the thing. Verse 13 says, you were given all of these, these helps, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and, evangelists and pastors and teachers and so forth so that we can attain to the unity of the faith and to a mature man. Not that you can be a mature man and I can be a mature man, but the body of Christ can be a mature man. It's all about the body. It's not about you and it's not about me. Our contribution has to be toward the spiritual body of Christ and not toward a denomination or a set of beliefs. It has to be toward scriptural clarity and truth. What's our unity principle here? Well, Rick, the format for establishing establishing true unity was set right at the beginning. True Christian leadership began with the apostles and was funneled through the ecclesia, that is the church. Okay, they set the standard. And you know, when you talk about, you know, you mentioned seminaries and so forth, we, lo- we want to look at, in our belief, folks, very clearly, our belief is that we should do things the way they were done in the early church. Now, obviously, we have modern-day equipment. I'm using a microphone. They didn't have them back then. <laughs> You know, the Apostle Paul had to go here, there, and everywhere. We can talk to you around the world, literally, sitting in the comfort of our own home. But what we're trying to do is stay with Scripture, period. Stay with the scriptural process and, and, and people put in the right places as Scripture's determined. And, Rick, the church is are the people in the congregation. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. It's the individuals that are called to follow Christ. And that's another important, important aspect of understanding Christian unity. And finally, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 4. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. See, this is beautiful because it says as a result of doing all of the things we just talked about, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves. So what that means, Jonathan, is grow up and stop being a child. <laughs> so we can change. That's the beauty of this. So That's if, right. if you've been in the position where you're not in the right kind of place because it's not scripturally sound, it's saying you can still grow through that. So don't lose hope. Rather, have hope and grow through it. Verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So here's the important thing, and I know that we said this already, but it comes out again in this part of the scripture, that according to the proper working of each individual part, so you say, aha, that's me. Yes, that's true. But what's your purpose? Causing the growth of the body. So it's not about me and Jesus. It's teamwork, right? It is. It is teamwork. It is working as a body in that unified effect under the headship of Jesus Christ and none other. 
and love the bottom line principle that makes it work right. Love and service and sanctification and living those things. Those are where we get to. Okay, our unity principle for this, uh, to finish this segment. We are to be unified in the Spirit of God under the direction of competent and spiritual teachers focused on God's truth to all grow into the contributing members of one body. Under the direction of competent and spiritual teachers, and I would add appointed in accordance with scriptural concepts. Again, that's another whole big subject, but we want to be clear to follow scriptural reasoning. Scripturally, leadership came from within each each of those ecclesias, each of those groups. We want to follow that as best as we are able. So Christian unity is so much more than warm feelings for each other. It's actually a serious life mission. Assuming we follow the clear guidelines we have in place, what other challenges might we face? Have you seen our CQ Kids videos? They're short, animated, and fun stories that use the Bible to answer actual kid questions. Subjects range from Jesus to prayer and thankfulness to the hard stuff like Satan and dying. They're perfect for starting a Bible discussion at home or a short story before bedtime. They're also an entertaining way to begin a Sunday school lesson. Watch all the inspirational CQ Kids videos. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, what's next, Rick? Even with all these scriptural advantages in place, there's always another challenge and always another layer of complexity to overcome. You might say it gets personal now, as our next challenges have to do with our own issues and weaknesses regarding how we see and interpret scriptural principle. So, Jonathan, it doesn't get easier. It stays difficult. And the reason is because Christian unity is not about earthly things. It's built on God's Holy Spirit. You know, this is this is a level that's so much higher than we're supposed to be, and yet we have all of these denominational differences. Let's let's go back to what's the difference between Christian denominations from Southern Seminary, and and now this is an interesting aspect of the whole thing is bringing in the differences that are brought about because of nationality and language. One of the enduring sources of differences among Protestants is based upon a nationality and language. And this is natural. It's been this way at least since the third, third century, that as churches grew up, as people became believers, they tended to organize themselves into groups of churches based upon the natural identities that they had of, of language and, and society and, and politics. And in the 17th, 16th and 17th century, as Protestantism became so prominent in many parts of Europe, Many of these Protestant churches became state churches, and so the Lutheran Church was the state church of Germany. Anglicanism, the Church of England, was the state church of England. Now, these these churches sometimes had other little differences, but as they immigrated to the New World, to North America in particular, they retained their their identities. So, you know, you've got these nationalities and languages that created these barriers, and when they immigrated to the New World, they kept those barriers because there was a comfort level with them. You know, and again, Jonathan, I'm just going to bring up a question because it's a question that needs to be brought up. Should Christianity ever be a state religion? Let's think about it for a second because Jesus says, I am not of this world. And he calls us to a calling that's not of this world. Remember, he says, I'm, you are in the world, but not of the world. 
So there, to me, there's a fundamental question you have to ask yourself about what's the purpose of, of my Christianity? This past week, Rick, we had some projects done at the house and, and these workers were work, working at our house and he was talking to me. He, he's from Romania, Moldova area, and he was up in Springfield, uh, Massachusetts, and he goes to this church that has 3,000 people. He showed me a picture of all the kids on stage. He goes, because we all are, are Russian-based co- a congregation. And I was like, really? And it, it really surprised me. He goes, yeah, we started off in a smaller church in our area, but we decided to go to the big one, and we all have this common bond of language. I thought, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and, you know, that really does, does make the point. You know, and, and, and look, you know, hopefully they're, they're trying to find the God's word and, and, and God's way in all of those things because sometimes we do have the commonality that helps us to grow, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we don't want to stay only there. You know, it's about the body of Christ, and the body of Christ isn't English-speaking, nor is it Russian-speaking, nor is it Polish, nor is it Jewish-speaking. The body of Christ is from all over. So a good quote from kind of as a theme for this uh, segment from Ann Baxter. In necessary things, unity. In doubtful things, liberty. In all things, charity. Okay, so we want to have unity in the necessary things. And I want to really underline and focus the thing, the, 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 the picture on necessary, because there are certain necessary things in Christianity we have to be really careful of. So now in this segment, we're going to look at the enhancing of Christian unity. We talked about, in the last segment, we talked about the building of Christian unity. Now let's work on enhancing it according to Scripture. Being legitimately called to Christ does not mean we are freed from our own preconceived prejudices. It doesn't mean we are freed from our preconceived prejudices, which means we still carry them. How do we know? Because the scriptures explain that. Ephesians 2, 13 to 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and who broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So, Jonathan, that's a pretty dramatic statement there. It really is. And isn't this talking about the Jew and the Gentile becoming Christians and breaking down that wall? But who broke down that wall? Yeah, that's the point. The, the Jewish Christians didn't break it down. No, no, they didn't. The Gentile Christians didn't break it down. No, they didn't. It was Jesus who broke it, broke it down. It was the blood of Christ who was able to unify them. And this is important because what this is saying is whatever our barriers are, we are not capable on our own of truly breaking them down. So the the verses continue, verses 15 and 16 of uh, Ephesians 2. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. See, there it is again. The cross put the enmity to death. We can, we can try to decide to do that, but until we apply the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus, and the calling of Jesus, because remember, Jesus said in, uh, in John uh, 14, he said, look, I'm going away, and if I don't go, I can't come back, and if I can't come back, in my Father's house are many mansions, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what the call of Christianity is about. That's what our unity is supposed to focus us on, is being faithful to that particular calling. So we have to have it 
based on the, the, the life, death, and sacrifice of Jesus. So, go ahead. This is an important uh, unity principle, Rick. We come to Christ as we are, but we cannot stay that way. We must claim his sacrifice to help us be lifted up out of our earthly enmities to become pliable enough to fit into the body of Christ. So, come to Christ as you are, but make no mistake, however it is that you are, if you truly are coming to Christ, decide ahead of time that it's going to change. Because we cannot stay the way we are and be in Christ. By definition, to be unified in Christ, we all must be putting our, our wills on that altar of sacrifice. That's what creates the unity of this body of Christ. We can't change ourselves, but by God's grace, through Jesus and through God's Spirit, we can be changed. But we bring a lot of baggage with us. Yes, we when, do. When we see that call... Uh, and then hopefully accept that call. And, you know, a lot of times we bring the baggage with us, and sometimes in our Christian environment, because we feel bad for others' baggage, we might want to make a place for it. Ooh, that's trouble. And see, and and that's a hard thing, though, because you say, well, wait, wait, you're going to throw them out? I didn't say that. What we said is, you're welcome, but understand you must grow through and out of a lot of who and what you are. And that goes, for, Jonathan, got to tell you, that goes for you. I know. I'm working on it, brother. <laughs> and who else does it go for? You, brother. Absolutely. Okay, so any word we speak to others, obviously, and first and foremost, applies to ourselves. Because of our preconceived notions, we practice our Christianity in ways that are contradictory. You say, wait, 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 what? what? Well, in, in Romans chapter 14, verses 2 to 8, this gives us some classic examples of things that, that, that we sort of bring with us, and the apostle is telling us, look, it's okay that there's differences here. You say, well, wait, you've been talking about Christian unity and trying to get rid of those things. Yes, but let, let's try to put it all in perspective. Romans 14, verses 2 and 3. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard the, with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. So this is in relation to eating meat that was previously offered to idols. And that's why he's saying some won't even touch it, and others, they don't care. And the point is, it doesn't matter. If they're doing it because they're serving God, God accepts them. This is a very powerful principle here. The apostle continues in verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So it's saying that in spite of his weakness, your brother can stand before the Lord and God will bless him. Even if you think, well, look, he's making a big deal out of something that shouldn't be a big deal. Yes, my son, he is. <laughs> but I can bless him anyway because he is trying as hard as he knows how. Verses 5 and 6. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So again, the, the same dilemma in, in different words and different circumstances, different examples. One person regards one day above another. Another says, no, they're all the same. What the Apostle is saying is, get over it. If it's in a clear conscience, in order to serve God, 
it's you've got to let it go. You can't bear down on that other individual and say, you know, you're wrong and this is this is this is so wrong, it's going to it's going to take you away from Christ. Verse 7 and 8 really wraps this up. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So again, the point is we have to follow our conscience as best as we can in these things. So what's the unity principle here? Live your convictions, being sure that you're not con- they're not conveniences. Appreciate the convictions of others with the same respect that you have given to your own. Your brother is God's. So now, Jonathan, we, you could easily listen to that statement and say, okay, you guys have talked about all these differences and you know, you, you created all these questions, and now you're just saying, well, live your convictions, make sure they're not convenient, and appreciate everybody else's convictions in the same way. Well, Rick, we're not talking about deep doctrinal differences. No. We're talking about personal personality how we have a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, and see, and with, with doctrine, with, with the core beliefs of our Christianity, they are supposed to be divisive. And you say, well, wait, wait, how could Christianity ever be divisive? divisive? Let me remind you of John chapter 6. Jesus has accumulated a massive following, and he's talking to them, and he says on purpose to them, he says, by the way, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to follow me. Now, he wasn't talking about literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood, but many of his, those followers took it that way and said, I can't do that. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm of Jewish heritage. This is, this is against, this is, this is repulsive. I'm leaving here. I'm out. And it says that many fell away from him. He did that on purpose because he was saying, I know you're here for the free food. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. He knew that. And so he was, he was giving them something a little harder to bring them a little higher. And that's why the call didn't go out to everyone, did right. it? No, it didn't. And, and Christianity is not for everyone. As a matter of fact, we've got series coming up. I think it's next week we're starting a two-part series of God, Does God Really Love This World? And we're going to be discussing this in some great detail. But the point is, doctrine does separate, and it's supposed to. We have to have high standards of Christian doctrine. And when we come across those really fundamental things that we look upon and say, no, that's just not in Scripture, you can't, you can't just say, well, you know, I'll just overlook that. I, Jonathan, I can't overlook uh, e- eternal torment. I can't overlook speaking in tongues. I can't overlook the idea of, of faith healing when those things we truly believe don't belong today. So those are parts of the issues that we have with Christian unity. All of that being said, finally, let's recognize those things that may feel as strong as our convictions are in most cases merely fleshly thoughts and desires. This is hard. This is hard. But Christian unity, being of a higher standard, is also hard. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 7, we'll do 1 through 3 to start. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? So the apostle is being hard on the Corinthians. Now this is a unifying letter he's sending them, and he's lecturing them 
I have to treat you like little children? Really? Is this what I is this what I'm supposed to do? I wanted to treat you like grown men, but I have to feed you like you're a baby. Those are hard words. But Jonathan, they are unifying words because his purpose is to bring them up and not to bring the standard down. Let's continue verses four through seven. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So it's about the same thing as it's always been about. We enhance Christian unity by raising the standards, not lowering the standards. It's not, let's see how many people we can cram in. It's, let's see how many of us want to go higher. So what's our unity principle here? Have spiritual integrity, especially when assessing your own heart and mind. Learn the difference between what looks and feels really good and what is right in God's eyes and apply it. Okay, have spiritual integrity. Not emotional integrity, all right? Not earthly integrity. Spiritual integrity based on Scripture and know the difference between look what looks and feels good and what's right in the eyes of God. And we know that because it's according to Scripture. It's pretty simple, but it's not easy. So between uh, being unified under Jesus and Him alone is not just a nice thing to do. It's a required doctrine to follow. All of this makes perfect sense. Is there anything else we need to be aware of at this end of the age? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. All of the principles that we've talked about have applied to the last 2,000 years of the Christian calling. However, it gets worse. In the end times, the scriptures are explicit that there will be bigger and more treacherous challenges to Christian unity. So what are they? And how are we supposed to be equipped to deal with them? So it's even worse, Jonathan, than it was. And it was always pretty bad. Oh, great. (laughs) We better be prepared, brother. Well, and that's the point. The point of Christian unity is if we look at the scriptures, the warnings have always been there, and the principles have always been there. We just need to rise up and stand for those things. So this is a great quote to to theme this this segment by uh, Tony Evans. Unity is oneness of purpose, not sameness of persons. (laughs) What's the one purpose of our Christianity? Folks, that is what Christian unity is truly built on. So in this segment, we're going to really be looking at the crystallizing of Christian unity in the end times, which are difficult. So the scriptures tell us that there's, there's trouble at the end. Why are there more issues with Christianity and therefore with Christian unity at the end times? Let's look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. 
And look, folks, if you don't believe that we're in the stage of time where many go back and forth and knowledge increasing, you got to take the blinders off. Yeah. Transportation and increase of knowledge is like going off the charts right now. And, and, you know, so we live at the time where the ability to see and understand is dramatically increased. And with that came the understanding of scriptures, both for the good and for the bad. Let's go one last time to what is the difference between Christian denominations from Southern Seminary. And this is interesting, talking about modern-day liberal thought within the Christian movement. There's one other important difference among the denominations within Protestantism, and that has to do with the movement that began about 130 years ago in North America, known now as Protestant liberalism. Fundamentally, liberal thought put human reason in the seat of authority over Scripture. So Scripture came under the judgment of human reason, and that caused a reinterpretation of the Bible from beginning to end. And in that reinterpretation, liberal thought did away with miracles, did away seemed harsh, that, that seemed somehow hard to explain, that seemed like superstition. Anything that was offensive to reason could not be held to be true. And so by putting reason first, liberal theology undid most of what the Scripture actually teaches. You know, and that's interesting because there's both good and bad that comes from the opening up of the Scriptures. When you water it down and say, okay, we're only going to take the nice stuff, uh, you're not being fair to Scripture. That's true. But when you're able to look more deeply into Scripture and find out how to put all of the clues together that were never able to be put together, which Daniel's prophecy said would happen. He said, close up the book and seal it until that time, which means it's unsealing means that some of the things that are in Scripture can now be revealed. And some of those were hidden in the Dark Ages. Yes where people didn't know how to read, didn't have a Bible, and so there is some good yes. uh, to the end times that knowledge increased. Yeah, we just have to be careful to stay on the scriptural side of it without putting our personal preferences before scripture. And, you know, Jonathan, that's so easy to do before we get into this next scripture um, it's so easy to say, well, you know what, I've got a need or a want or a desire along these lines, and I'm sure God understands it. And I can see how these scriptures could be, can be understood so that they'll fit what, what my need or desire or want is. And that happens all the time in Christianity, and it's inappropriate. That's not being selfless and doing God's will. That's really pushing your own agenda. It's keeping the standard where I'm comfortable rather than raising it to a life of complete sacrifice tough challenge. So then this next prophecy we're going to talk about is a New Testament prophecy can easily be applied to the world around us as well as to the degrading of the image of Christianity in these last times. So Jonathan, we're going to do 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 and we're just going to go back and forth. I'm going to interrupt you, oh, I don't know, a dozen times. (laughs) But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Okay, there's a mouthful to start with. Um, It says, in the last days, difficult times will come. And then it lists off all these things. Well, folks, look, we are in a unique time when all of these things, 
which were always considered ungodly, incidentally, are very easily attained. Okay, let's just read it again. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Doesn't that sound like the world we live in today? Oh, it definitely does, Rick. And it's easy to get a hold of those things. They're easily attained, they're easily practiced and advertised for all of the world to view. Now, because of this blatant deviation from humility, the trend has now moved toward me and myself as being God and not God himself. That's a major change in, in, in the method of thinking. Even 50 years ago, there was a difference between how the average person thought about themselves versus how they think about themselves now. We have really elevated self to be the almighty of our lives. And so in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul just keeps on going with the kinds of things that are symptomatic of the end times. And incidentally, Jonathan, with these kinds of symptoms, Christian unity is by definition harder to find and harder to attain. So let's go with verses 3 and 4. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, okay. Have you noticed the tailspin that self-control is in these days? Whatever I think or I feel I am entitled to, this is prophecy come true. And unfortunately, a lot of this is existing within what we call Christianity today. Verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Uh, Holding to a form of godliness, holding to a semblance of reverence. How easily our society creates causes that they hold in high esteem and lack any sense of God, creator of all things and grantor of free will. You know, the, the idea, Jonathan, is we are now able to follow whatever we deem to be the most important thing and we can make it into a cause, and we can create a following and get a lot of likes, and get a lot of followers, you know, and do all the social media stuff. And what we're doing is we're creating a movement that has no basis in anything that's higher. And that's really a sad, hard thing. And when Christianity gets involved in that kind of thinking, we cannot find true Christian unity. We might find people unity, but we're not going to find true Christian unity. Let's continue, verse uh, 6. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. So in all these sinful activities are those who play on others' fears, on their superstitions, and on their desires, and draw them out. And what this is saying is at the end times, it's even worse than it was earlier in, in the history of Christianity. So folks... With Christian unity, we got to be on the alert and not allow ourselves to be dragged down into any of this, but instead to hold the standard high. Verse 7. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So close and yet so far away. Verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of deprived mind, rejected in regard to the faith. You know, and, and, and Janus and Jambres were, were two of those who stood against Moses after the golden calf, and they lost their lives. They lost their lives in that circumstance because they stood against the prophet of God and did not stand for what was godly or true, and they were given an opportunity 
but they did not follow through. What's the unity principle here? There is a specific danger when society has degraded so far that we would remain above the fray, but not nearly far enough above it to stay to still be keyed into the true spirituality of the true body of Christ. And this is what we were kind of talking about throughout the, the podcast, Jonathan. Having a higher standard, but just because it's higher doesn't mean it's right. It's got to be high enough to be Christian. It's got to be high enough to be spiritual. It's got to be high enough to be spirit-driven. And that's why, Rick, we have to go back to the source over and right. over again to be reminded of that standard because this world waters things down to make it easy. And unfortunately, prophecy tells us that the opportunity for Christian unity just diminishes over time. Second Timothy 4, verses 3 and 5 tells us that very specifically. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So again, these verses are very clearly saying that in the end times, the endurance, the enduring of sound doctrine is just, is just falling apart. You know, we, we've been doing a series on, on, on does the Bible contradict itself. We've gotten through two parts. So we've got many, 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 many more to go. But it amazes me, Jonathan, how many websites there are where they say, look, if, you know, if this is an omnipotent God, he should have said this. He should have done that. He should have done this. He should have, you know, and, and it's this, this incredible judging of Scripture without the true desire to actually understand Scripture. That's where we are. We've given up. It is. It's awful. So what's our our final unity principle here as we get ready to close? Unity for the sake of appearances and the avoidance of persecution is a dangerous endeavor. Stand as Jesus stood. So our unity cannot, must not, be founded in the desire to avoid persecution, to for the sake of appearance. It must be something higher. That's what true Christian unity is. One final verse, I think, that helps us to put our minds into the right framework for reaching up to find our Christian unity. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen to 22 Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Listen to those verses. Pray. Give thanks. Don't quench the Spirit. Let the Spirit bring you higher. Don't despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast what is good. And that doesn't mean what is earthly good. Hold fast what is spiritually good as found for us in Scripture. Abstain from every form of evil. Not from the ones that are convenient but from every form. And then, maybe then, we can begin to reach up and find others who are reaching in the same direction in accordance with Scripture and find true, heartfelt, real, genuine Christian unity. It's hard to find, but it is amazingly worth the effort. Christian unity is founded in Christ. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about Does God Really Love Humanity? Part 1. Does God Really Love Humanity? We're going to put that challenge to the test. Talk to you next week.